Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, I'm really excited about the word that we're going to hear today because, I mean, uh, it's a good word. Um, the, the message of the gospel is a good, good news to us and... Um, and it's a really a privilege uh, to stand up here and, and share um, what God has put on my heart to share. Uh, and as I said, Acts 2, um, you don't really get much better uh, than Acts 2, the start of the church, um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, so before I, I jump into it, I, I really just want to pray um, that the Spirit uh, would come and be present here today. So Father, we, um, yeah, we thank you uh, for all that we've heard and sung so far about your goodness, about um, the, the righteousness that we have in Christ and, and the, uh, the power that we have through the Holy Spirit and, and how you come to us uh, through your Holy Spirit. And so Father, um, we just, uh, just lift up this part of the service. We ask that you would... Uh, come with your might and your power, that your word would be alive and active um, and that it would actually not just speak to our our heads, but it would speak to our hearts and that you would do your transforming work in us through your spirit. So I pray that um, you would be with me as I speak, that any words of mine that are not of you, that they would fall to the ground, but but that you would speak um, and that we would be expectant to hear you today. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, Acts 2 is really um, one of the biggest transitions in the Bible uh, from where uh, we go from the old covenant to the new covenant. And it's only by what Jesus did on the cross, but, but uh, Acts 2 is where it actually, the rubber hits the road, where the Spirit comes down. Um, I wonder if you've ever been in a transition period before in your life, uh, you, you obviously have uh, at some point. Maybe I should say, what is the biggest transition uh, that you've ever been through? Uh, for some of you, it would be uh, kindergarten to, to school or school to high school, high school to uni, uni to work, uh, uh, single to, to being in a, a relationship, um, relationship to marriage, uh, for some lucky ones, uh, uh, retirement, that's a transition too. Um, I want to so- talk about a transition, one of the biggest transitions that I went through, um, uh, and it was becoming a police officer. So um, they take, uh, the, the South Australian police take a civilian, uh, and over a period of, of only six months, it was for me, they, you go from being a civilian to a, a sworn police officer, uh, and you're, you are sworn, you, you swear to to the South Australian Police and the Commonwealth that you will serve and protect your community. And yet, they give you a, a badge, which is one of these that you have to carry around. You're meant to carry it around wherever you go, because you're never not a police officer. You're sworn, even when you're off duty, to, to be a part of your community and be alert and aware 
and, and to serve and protect. And uh, I have a, a, an embarrassing story about my transition to the police uh, because at the, uh, when, you, when you come to the academy, you, you rock up as a civilian, you're dressed in plain clothes, and you, you're wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you, um, you, you're not sure what you get into. And um, every morning they do parade, and the courses before you, who are all dressed in uniform, uh, will, will march in front of you. And you're just a motley crew of um, uh, really civilians, and you're watching these very professional-looking police officers uh, marching uh, and, and doing parade. And after a few weeks, they teach you how, how to march, uh, and then uh, they give you a uniform. And, and so within a few months, you're starting to make that transition uh, to becoming a, a sworn police officer. Um, there was always one thing that they taught you about marching. Um, it was something everyone dreaded doing. It was called square gating. Um, so it's where you, uh, obviously when you walk, uh, your, your left leg and your right leg go together and then uh, opposites. So that's how, that's how you march. I haven't done it for 17 years, so I won't even try and, and show you without the microphone. But um, the, the square gating is when you get a little bit confused and your left arm and your left leg both go together. Um, at our graduation, in front of a, a fairly large group of people, um, as I was being sworn in uh, uh, as a police officer, I actually was um, lucky enough to, to receive the Health and Fitness Award for my, for my course. And so, as a part of that, I had to stand up um, by myself and, uh, and, and march up to receive that award. Um, now, I had tried to square gate beforehand um, and I couldn't do it. So I didn't worry. I didn't, uh, I didn't think it, it was possible because it it's quite awkward and uncomfortable to do. Um, but right in that moment when I stood up, suddenly uh, I, I got a lot smaller and everyone's eyes were on me and, uh, and, and this is what I did. I stood up and I went. <laughs> now with square gating, what you're meant to do is the moment you square gate, you're meant to stop, completely stop what you're doing and then start again. But it's very hard when you're frantically realising that you're square gating um, to actually stop. So I was, um, this is what was happening in my brain. I'm square gating, I'm square gating. And uh, so I took the three biggest steps that I could uh, from my chair to the commissioner uh, who shook my hand and, and gave me my award. Um, <clears throat> my whole course, um, whilst not audibly laughing, um, were very, trying very hard to, to not uh, burst out laughing. Um, and so that was, <laughs> that was uh, my transfer into being a police officer. And... To be fair, my career has been, you know, in, somewhat in that fashion. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Uh, um, but um, so in Acts 2, we're obviously looking at a much more significant transition um, in the disciples' lives. They're going from um, 
some motley, uneducated, weak, scared fishermen. Uh, and then we see in, in Acts 2 uh, what the Holy Spirit does in their lives. So let's, let's read. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. That's a lot of them, isn't there? Uh, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, I'm trying to limit myself to what I can say here. So what I actually want to do is, is ask three questions of the text and, and hopefully um, I can bring about uh, some, some half reasonable answers from the text from, from those questions. So the three questions I want to ask today is, what is the significance of this moment? What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? And where does the Holy Spirit get its power? So what is significant in this moment? What is the Holy Spirit's purpose and what, where does it get its power? So let's start off with uh, what significance, uh, what's the significance of this moment? And the author, Luke, gives us a really obvious clue um, right in that first line of, of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came. So the day of Pentecost Um, in the Jewish tradition is actually the day they recognised that that God gave them the law. Um, So uh, uh, obviously uh, Israel was slaves in Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt and and through the Passover uh, and then he, um, he divided the waters so that they would actually pass out of slavery into freedom. And then 40 or 50, 40 or 50 days later uh, was when the Pentecost, uh, or when the law was brought to them. um, uh, God uh, really um, filled them with, put the fear of God in them. He he revealed himself at Mount Sinai in in fire, uh, in a violent storm. And he said, you will be my God and I will be, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. Um, and then he said, and this is how you, this is how you were created to, to, to be my people. And he gave them the law. <clears throat> but how did, how did Israel uh, do with, with those laws, the, the Ten Commandments? 
Um, Jesus summed it up really well. He said, um, the Ten Commandments are summed up uh, in, in really two ways. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, how did Israel go with that? <laughs> uh, we know that they, uh, they struggled a lot. Um, they were constantly um, not able to, to really fulfil the requirements of the law. They were not able to trust God with his law, trust that he had a good purpose for them and that he was, he was faithful to fulfil all that he promised. Um, and so you might, you might ask, well, what's the law got to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? What, what's the, that does, I, I read it first. I thought that, that was the question I had. What's the law got to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 to 35 answers that question. It's a prophecy. And it, Jeremiah, right in the midst of all of the muck and the mess of Israel, right where really they are at their lowest point, Jeremiah prophesied. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So right here in Acts, in this moment, this is what God is doing. He's taking the, the, the old law and he's, and he's bringing his Holy Spirit and he's, the Holy Spirit is a catalyst for the law to, to enter into our hearts and our minds, that, that we would be transformed um, by his law and we would have relationship with him. This is the moment where God's church is born. And, and, and really, it's interesting that God uses uh, these fishermen, these weak vessels, um, but he, he turns them um, from weak, uneduc uneducated men and transforms them into bold, strong, powerful men of faith. <clears throat> so that's, I, th I've, I think I've answered that question. Um, so second question is, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Now, I think sometimes we can minimise the, the work of the Spirit to, to the miracles, the signs and the wonders, the experience, can't we? Are we meant to read what happens in these verses and ask, why don't I experience um, those types of things in my life as often as I'd like to? Or, do we, or perhaps we, we say, if I was a better Christian, would I experience these things? I'm not, I don't know whether they're good or bad questions, but I don't think this is the question we need to ask of the text. Um, I think what we need to ask is, what are these miracles here for? Because it's important to see that all of the Holy Spirit's miracles are, are, 
all their signs and wonders, they're not an end in themselves. They always serve a greater purpose. If you go to Acts 2, verse 22, um, Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, uh, to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did amongst you through him, as you yourselves know. So the miracle signs and wonders, they're not the end goal. They're, they're actually the accreditation of um, God's hand uh, on Jesus to, to, to show that Jesus was accredited by God, just like the miracle signs and wonders we do is, a, is God's accreditation to say, listen up. This person has, um, knows the Lord. Listen to what he's got to say. <clears throat> When we study the Gospels, we know that the miracles Jesus performed, um, they always pointed to something greater. Um, We we see blind eyes see. We see God feeding the 5,000. We see God raising people from the dead. Now, these miracles were really, if if we're honest, they're they're temporary solutions, aren't they? Those those 5,000, they got hungry again. Um, those blind, the, the, the blind men, they, their eyes eventually failed. Um, I, I think of the, the 10 lepers. Um, nine of them were healed and left and there was only one who came back to Christ. And, and Jesus said, you are blessed because you, he, he saw more than just the temporary miracle. He saw that there was something more significant in Christ. Um, so what we need to, to see is that the miracles were only temporary solutions, but they point to a deeper work that God is doing. They point to his eternal plan of redemption. Now, just to clarify, should we long to see miracles and signs in our lives? Absolutely. I'm not saying that we don't. Uh, should we deeply desire the gifts of the Spirit? And, and God's revelation in our, in our lives through signs and wonders? Absolutely. Can we get too focused on those temporary things and forget about the greatest miracle that has ever been accomplished on the cross? We are, we are transformed from death to, to life. We're given eternity with God. We have relationship with Him. That is the greatest miracle. That The other miracles are just temporary. So let's not get fixed on those things, but let's see that they point to a greater, a deeper truth. So in light of that, what I want to do now is, is go through uh, the, the, the three signs in, in, in Acts 2 that we see, the miraculous signs, and I want to fill them out a little bit and see what, what the signs are, are pointing to, and what the work of the Spirit is, the, the purpose of the Spirit is. Okay, so we see firstly the mighty wind from heaven. Um, in both the Hebrew and Greek languages, the word for spirit um, or Holy Spirit is the same word for breath or for wind. And it's that Hebrew word ruach, which is um, God's, God's breath that was breathed, um, that it was the spoken word that, that formed the order from the chaos that, that brought, um, brought about the creation um, of, of the world. It, it transformed it. Um, 
In Genesis 2, we see that God breathes His breath of life into dust and turns it into uh, humanity, into Adam. Uh, Adam means humanity. Uh, his, God's breath actually gives life. And so what I want to say is the first, I've got five points uh, of what the Holy Spirit's purpose is. The first one is it brings new life. The Holy Spirit brings new life. Uh, Ezekiel prophesies, he gives this amazing prophecy in, in Ezekiel 37, where, he breathe, uh, where God breathes on dry bones. And, it, and, he, and these dry bones, they, they come alive and they, they grow sinew and they, and they grow, grow muscle. And then they, uh, they eventually become a great army of God. And this is what we see is happening in Acts 2. God is transforming uh, the uh, dead people into new creations in Christ, living with, with His law written on their hearts. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Uh, we are new creations and that, that is what the work of the, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, um, that the Spirit brings order from disorder. The Holy Spirit um, does what the, the, the Ruach does in Genesis 1. He transforms the wild and waste into, um, into a beautiful garden, into, into the world that we know. Um, Romans 12.2 says... Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit, as we walk with Him, he, He's constantly chipping away at, at our dead, the, the death in us. He's, he's transforming us, renewing us, um, making us more like our Saviour. Okay, the second sign that we see is the tongues of fire. Uh, I don't know if any of you were around um, for Leona's sermon on, on God, our consuming fire. Um, and the, the, the fire is, is a symbol of God's holiness. And anything that's unholy, as soon as it gets near God, it just burns up. It, it can't be in His presence because He's too, too holy. Um, but here we see that, that, that God um, comes with His fire um, but, but the disciples are not consumed. So the role of the, the fire in the temple is also a sign of purification. Um, it, it takes things that are unclean and sinful and it makes them clean again. So the tongues of fire, or the Holy Spirit brings, my third point, brings pur purification and holiness. There's a story in Exodus where God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. An amazing thing that Moses uh, sees in the bush is that it, it's ablaze, but it's not consumed. In Acts, we see the imagery of the disciples being like God's little burning bushes. They are covered by God's holiness, but not consumed. Like the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they, they enter the furnace, but because of the, the presence of the, the angel of the Lord, not a, not a hair on their head is singed. This is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be holy and purified, um, that we would be able to enter into God's presence. 
And the last sign that we see is the proclamation of God's wonders in all languages. Now, I actually, I think that the signs of the disciples speaking in tongues goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, we see that humans have gathered together in one place with a common language and they unite together in a plan to build a city with a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. They want to make their own kingdom. They want to, they want to make a kingdom um, as, as good as God's kingdom. Um, but God in his grace and mercy, he, he comes down and he confuses their language. But what it does is it causes division and separation and it spreads human, humankind throughout the whole world. But can you see here in Acts 2 that God is reversing the story of the Tower of Babel in two ways. Firstly, through unity and reconciliation. Instead of dividing and separating, the Holy Spirit is going out to unite, to tell the people in all their languages about God, um, to draw the people back to himself, to reconcile them to him and as a result to each other. So it's this reversal of, of the Tower of Abel. God is actually drawing people back to himself through the Holy Spirit. And then in doing so, God is building a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom of man, it's a kingdom of God. So we see that, that final point that um, God is using his Holy Spirit in us to build his kingdom, not a kingdom of man, not a not a temporary kingdom, but a kingdom of eternity. So unlike the Tower of Babel, uh, we, we actually join with God. Um, how amazing is that? Um, and so, yeah, I, how encouraging is that? That that is the work of the Spirit in us. Um, and any work that, that actually brings unity, any work that... Um, that reminds us that we are holy, that we are purified. It is all through the Spirit. So my final question is, uh, that I want to answer is, where does its power come from? And we can't emphasise this enough, and we can't really reach the depths of this answer. It's something that we, that we will live with for the rest of our lives and we keep going back to. Um, the power of the Holy Spirit only comes through the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. It's the only way. So Acts 2, 23 to 24 says, <clears throat> But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Sorry, I missed that. The first verse, uh, the verse before it. Um, is that God, Christ was put to death by man. And it, it says in 23 that um, God's set purpose and foreknowledge, it was by God's set purpose and foreknowledge that Jesus was put on the cross. This was not a mistake. Um, this was not a, an accident. This was God's plan. And so God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then if we go down to 
verse 32. We see God raised his, uh, this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Now Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He's ascended, he's exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. <clears throat> so there's, um, without, without Christ's ascension back into the throne, and, I, and I'll be honest, I don't fully understand um, what, it, what it is because we don't know what's happening in the heavenly realms. We, we, we only have an, an idea of what's happening uh, in God's throne room. But God had to, uh, Jesus had to return to his father's house. He had to return to the throne room and, and rule um, from the right hand of God the Father for the spirit to be able to come in its fullness and in its power. It was something of, of the work that had to be done so that we would be set free. Um, a, a bit of a cheeky fourth question. <laughs> what is essential for us to receive the Holy Spirit's power? Verse 37 of Acts says, The people were cut to the heart. And then Peter says, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. For, and it goes on to say, For all who are far off. Can you see that? The first step in receiving the Holy Spirit, well, really the first step of seeing Christ as our Saviour, is to know that we were far, we are far off from God without Christ. That we, that we are lost, that we are blind, um, without the work of the Spirit through Christ Jesus. Um, that that we need uh, to see that that we are broken, that we are sinful and that we were far off from God. That is the first step for us to, to entering into the kingdom of God. First step to, to receiving what Christ has done and then to, to be transformed to having the power um, of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 16 to 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. And what is this righteousness that we receive in Christ? What does it mean for us? Romans 8, 1 to 4 says, Therefore, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you see that, that Pentecost? The law of, of sin and death and the law of the Spirit. That we have been set free from the law of sin and death by the Spirit. For what the law was powerless to do because, of its weak, uh, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, we will never grasp this and we will never come to the end of it. But the righteousness we receive in Christ is, is from first to last. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians 17, uh, <laughs> Romans uh, 1 uh, 17 says. It's from first to last. We don't, we're not saved by Jesus Christ and then go on to do good works in our own strength. We don't, we don't, we're not saved here and then, um, and then we don't need that work anymore. We live in that work. We must remain in that work. Jesus says, abide in me. Um, if, uh, yeah, I had it here, but it's gone. Abide in me um, and I will abide in you. Um, uh, the, and it says that you will not bear fruit. If you do not abide, remain in me, you will not bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self, self-control. I always forget one. So Goodness. Thank, oh, gentleness. Thank you. Very gently told me. Yeah, thank you. Um, all of those, all of that fruit is we, we must be planted in the righteousness that we have in Christ because that is where we know our freedom. That is where we know we are no longer condemned. That is where we, we know that our righteousness, our righteousness is, is hid with Christ on high, that, uh, that we can enter into the presence of God um, and that we can have relationship with Him. It's from first to last. And, and really, that's where I want to leave us today as we, as we come to communion, as we come to the table, uh, to, the, to, the, to the juice and, and the bread, to the, to the body and the blood. Um, this is why we do communion. is so that we don't get ahead of ourselves, that we don't, well, to use the analogy, that we don't keep going square-gating, that we actually stop and we, and we rest and we remind ourselves that our righteousness is not in our works. We cannot be condemned. We are free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And so we, we stop and, and we, we set ourselves in Christ's righteousness. We set ourselves in what He did on the cross, the, the, the blood that was poured out for us. His body that was broken, that is where we we are sure and steadfast on the foundation of Christ, and so that's what we come to do um, now. So um, I think we've we've got a table over there. I didn't actually plan how we're going to do it. Um, uh, there might not be enough for for everyone, um, but if Bree, do you mind just grabbing someone, bringing it to, towards us? Um, I just want to read Philippians 3 because I, I love hearing what Paul says here. It just confirms about what the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. He says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see that? That we rest in Christ and out of that we press on into him. And, and really we press on into the death of ourselves. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to be sanctified. I was talking to Haley um, about preparing for a sermon. You know, God is doing a sanctifying work in me as I wrestle with this stuff. God is doing a sanctifying work in you as you come to church, as you come to serve, as you come to be a part of community. Because community is, and I don't care whether it's church community or not, it's hard sometimes. We have, uh, we jostle each other. We, we annoy each other. We don't, we're not perfect towards each other. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven. But, but that is the sanctifying work of Christ. And, and so we need to rest in that. So I guess what I want to do is leave a few minutes for us to think about what that sanctification is doing in you at the moment. Um, do you have a sin that, that you're struggling with that, that God is putting his finger on and, and, and making it known to you, but you can't do it in your own strength? Take it to the cross. Do you have a, is there lies coming at you from the enemy telling you that you're not worthy, uh, that, that you're not a good Christian, whatever that is? Um, take it to the cross. You are worthy in Christ Jesus. Um, you are more than a conqueror, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus. Um, there's so many things I couldn't name all of them that's going on and I, and I trust that the Spirit is doing that work in you. So let's take those things to God. Um, uh, let's take some time to, to, to rest in the work that he's done, to search our hearts for what, what God is doing in us, even now, that, that we can trust his spirit to do that work and, and to continue to sanctify us. So I just want to give us a little bit of time. Um, so... Um, I missed where the juice... Oh, Haley's got some uh, juice and, and Bree's got some here. Um, and just so you know, everything's gluten-free, so um, don't be worried about that. So take some time and, and I'll close um, in a few minutes. Let's pray. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Father, we cannot fully comprehend the work that you have done through your, through your Son, Jesus Christ. We can't fathom uh, the love uh, that you have for us, that you would send your only Son to die a sinner's death, that we would have, uh, that we would be reconciled to you. Not just reconciled, but that we would have relationship with you, that we would... Um, that we would be able to enter into your holiness. And Father, I just, that image of, of the disciples as burning bushes, Father, it's a hard thing to ask, but we want to be burning bushes for you. We want to be your light in this world. We want to bring glory to your name. But we know we can't even do that in our own strength that we need your your Son, Jesus Christ. So I just pray that you would continue to do your work in us, in this church, in our families, in our hearts. Sanctify us uh, by your power. May we be willing vessels, jars of clay that hold the surpassing power uh, of, of you. So we, we just commit our lives to you afresh. We ask that you would do a deep work in our lives. Continue to transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.